0: Hello, and welcome to Broken Shovel, home setting for a sustainable future podcast. I am Lily, co-host and producer. I am joined by co-host Eric. Hi. And Lucas.
1: Sorry, I'm still dancing to the intro music. Hello. Hello.
0: Um, <laughs> on today's episode, we are going to talk about marine heat waves, how climates are shifting under and above the water please stick around. We have a little chat to listen to and interview with Clifton from Planter. Founder of Planter.
2: CEO and founder.
0: Ah, there we go. Ah.
2: And I got to say the title of the actual title of the episode because it's so punny. (laughs) (laughs) Wet Hot America. Wait, Wet Hot hot Atlantic
1: Summer. Wet Hot Atlantic Atlantic Summer.
0: summer.
1: This this has not been... Approved uh, as our title, but we will. (laughs) (laughs) I was
0: like, when was that discussed?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Uh, All right. So um, all that out of the way, uh, we need to do something now. Oh, define what is a marine heat wave. A marine heat wave is when seawater temperatures exceed a seasonally varying threshold, usually the 90th percentile for at least five consecutive days. Successive heat waves with gaps of two days or less are considered part of the same event. Basically, it means the water is hotter than normal for a sustained period of
2: time. Perfect. All right.
0: Now, let's talk about what definition. it's doing under the water.
2: So, under the water, uh, it hasn't, it's, we're, we're just barely starting to see effects uh, deeper under the water, um, whereas, like, places like in Florida, where it's reaching about, both at the surface and below the surface, is about 90 degrees in the water.
1: Wow. Wow. Your average hot tub is about
2: 102 degrees. Yeah, so there is so even going down like people like to go snorkeling when it's when it's warm like this. You're not even getting relief from going like deeper down at this point because it's getting so warm. But it's so far it's really affecting uh, the Northeast Atlantic uh, up by Nova Scotia and whatnot, um, Gulf of Mexico region, and then the like the coast of Florida
0: wow that is incredibly it to what
2: you it's going to cause it's to start basket. why it's start.
0: technical <laughs> difficulties what is happening i'm
1: so sorry i don't know why it did that okay
0: all, all good welcome,
1: welcome back
0: welcome welcome <laughs> to our brief uh, pause
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes uh
0: Okay so human. we're we're talking about the warming uh off the coast of Florida, Gulf of Me- Mexico, Mexico and Northeast Nova- Atlantic. Mexico. Northeast
2: okay. Atlantic is where we're seeing the really big hot spot Where we're seeing this uh right now we're, we're 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 continuing to scale up really really fast but the the last NOAA chart uh is showing us at about uh 1.5 degrees Celsius above average Um, That's likely going to hit 1.6 over the next two days, uh, which translates to about five degrees Fahrenheit above normal. That's
0: incredibly warm. Like that. Wow. Now, Mm -hmm. what is this doing to the marine life?
2: Um, So right now, because we are so early in this one, we aren't seeing the effects yet, but the effects are coming um the, the wor- worst case scenario is complete ecological collapse which is yeah. everything just dies um smaller scale we're seeing uh in in uh invasion of invas- invasive species um so last time this happened in uh, Japan they saw a massive increase of giant jellyfish and lionfish, no. which we could see, which we actually we see uh, happen often in off the coast of Florida when they have what the the jellyfish beaches.
0: Yeah. So, so well, there's,
1: the de- de- go ahead, there's a depletion one. in oxygen as well in that the water. Too, which, causes-
2: it, which actually is a. Uh, so that's one of the cascading effects. So warmer water, uh, larger algae blooms. Larger algae blooms eat up the oxygen, and then we have the oxygen dead spots, which we've seen happen a lot in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: And this is something that's harmful to humans as well. These algae blooms,
2: yes, very much so. There's uh, the both the uh, poisonous and a lot of ba- like flesh eating bacteria comes from these. Uh, usually the the flesh eating bacteria is more from the seaweed blooms that happen and then wash ashore than the algae blooms but the algae blooms are just straight up poisonous wow you get gross. nasty rash and you get sick it's not fun yeah. um and then long term stuff like long, uh, yeah. coral reach b- coral reach bleach ble- bleaching or coral reef bleaching which you is, want me to play uh, the song again uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah and it, um increased acidification of the ocean water itself um as we see more reflection off of uh, well actually this is – a, a one of the cascading effects is uh, there's less so the, uh, going back to the have we talked about the jet stream much on the, on here yet i can't remember no, no not we, re- we really we, we, we never, briefly touched yeah, on so, it so i but did we mention uh, in a previous about the the less dust coming off of the sahara which is actually uh, one of the the contributing factors to the water being so hot this year. Less wind off the Sahara, less dust in the air, more solar radiation getting absorbed by the ocean. Ocean Gulf circles that around and now we're seeing that hit like the Nova Scotia area and also then coming down the rest of of the eastern seaboard.
1: Wow. Yeah. So this is this is one of those feedback loops that you're always mm-hmm. talking about, Eric, yep. where the warm ocean creates weird air. Weird air creates more warm yep. ocean. And,
2: and right now, the uh, like everyone's worried about hurricanes, but hurricanes are right now a flip of the coin because we have the the trade winds that potentially cause it, of uh, to them to kind of spin up in the Atlantic, aren't there. But if the winds come, we have enough, that they're warm enough that there's more moisture in the air that if they do happen, they're going to be bad. Yes. The
1: warm water is yeah. types of storms. Exactly. We don't, we don't, have, we don't have the that.
2: winds right now that are kind of creating the storms.
0: But we do have that warm water. and that We do will, have the warm water. Yeah. Though. So once Ugh. we yeah. get that wind, it's going to be... Yep. Catastrophic. And actually, I,
2: I found an interesting uh part of my my ca- l- l- cascading effects is uh Norway. Uh, when we had a good a, a large warming trend in a, in a 2018, um, agriculture in the EU was very affected because the uh the warm water plus weak winds actually causes less storms to hit Europe. So in 2018, Norway saw about a 40 percent decrease in crop yield when the oceans warmed up back then, and they're expecting the same out of this.
1: Yeah, I actually have some about 2018 in my notes too that we can hit on later um, about how it, you know, about what happened then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: did you know? I I had I had put together some notes on on things, and that the sea star wasting disease is like the
2: most depressing sounding. Oh, it's so, and it's, it's not only depressing. If you see it, it's just like, ah. And I mean, I will say, like I've noticed when I was a kid in the '90s, going up to Maine and going to the beaches and hitting the rocks, I used to be able to fill a bucket with with both starfish and crabs. Now the last, as my, when I'm taking my kids up to Maine, uh, there are no starfish up off the coast of Maine.
1: If I could just explain what sea star wasting disease is for everybody. Um, thank you, Eric. That is, yeah, but uh, it's a disease, uh, that causes sea stars to lose their arms and eventually die. The disease is thought to be caused by a combination of warm water temperatures and a virus. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's still being studied but you know uh, you know Eric's anecdotal evidence is you know it is um, it's not off the mark there is a decrease in marine life accessible uh, even just over the course of three decades yeah yeah
0: um, and we we really started seeing this this uh wow, my brain just went what um sea star wasting right. syndrome our disease? in 2013 and it's and it's kind of ramped up and it's gotten increasingly worse and worse um and and we're just seeing more evidence of it every
1: creature is integral to its ecosystem in Mm -hmm. some way um i'm i'm really not sure i'm not an expert on starfish but to hear that a very common and prolific you know essentially a bottom feeder i i would imagine Mm -hmm. is 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 disappearing and uh there aren't major alarms being sounded uh makes me nervous
2: (laughs) yeah likely while they're beautiful there there's there's enough bottom feeders that one less bottom feeder i mean i think that's why i likely think that there's a lot more crabs on the beaches because they're able to they're able to get more food sources and then the starfish aren't eating them because starfish eat crabs
1: Right. OK. Well, and we can look into, you know, what their function is in the ecosystem and, mm-hmm. and how that would be lost. But, um, you know, that could be a very long explanation. I have no that, idea. That
0: really could be. Um,
1: um, so what the coral bleaching, Eric, that is warm water on the coral reefs
2: Warm as water well. on the coral reefs and increased solar radiation, literally bleaching the coral.
1: Okay, yeah. and then the dead coral reef uh, affects Nothing. all of the uh, affects all the life that depends on that
2: reef. Everything, everything, yeah. all the little fishes, all the little the sponges, the anemones, the everything that the the beauty that you see in the coral reefs, all of it is gone. Right, octopods,
1: uh, cr- yep. uh, uh, crustaceans. I mean, the whole the whole gambit.
2: Yep. Uh, what entire, about ecolog- entire ecological collapse? Yeah, well, how does this affect the kaiju? The kaiju, um, <laughs> well, they to, to get big, the kaiju need to start small, so they eat the little fishes and slowly <laughs> work their way up.
1: But- Lily's... Lily's too too busy doing the other part of her job that, that she's lost track of the fact that we're talking about Godzilla. Uh. Oh my gosh,
0: I am so sorry. I was <laughs> trying to find an answer for you on on, um, on Starfish. No, and I think it's I just, I just that it's,
1: it is so nice and sunny outside. I think we're all in like a, an elevated mood today and it's Correct. coming through in the show. Uh, really did is. you find anything on the Starfish worthwhile or should we I,
0: should I we did keep not, moving? but uh, I mean, they're not found in western Long Island Sound um because starfish love oysters. Um so we because of the decrease of starfish we've seen an increase of oysters. Um so that's all I've found currently. Um so if you like yeah. oysters but we also
2: oysters <laughs> are good. Oysters yeah. are great water purifiers, just they're they, they they're also an invasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, mussels and oysters uh, very much so. Yeah. Um but damn them for cleaning the water so well.
1: <laughs> yes, and, and providing expensive jewelry. Yes, very uh,
0: expensive jewelry. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, so let's, so sh- Godzilla. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, kind of move on to the above ground and moving from from the ocean to what it what's affecting the above ground. Sure. Yeah, of and this some of marine this, heat wave. I would
1: be happy to. And some of this Eric's already sort of touched on, yes. but we'll go a little bit more in depth here. Uh, first of all, when water is warm, it evaporates more quickly and uh, more constantly. Uh, warmer water. Vapors. Lead to increased cloud cover and precipitation. Going back to our floods episode. Uh, abnormal rain events um, from increased uh, uh, moisture in the air. So rainfall patterns, locally, and regionally, and globally, can be shifted very quickly. Uh, you know, we and and some of these things I'm going to I'm describing here are going to start sounding like those those movies, the geo storms and the 2012 <laughs> and, and all of those, and um, you know, except for, you know, Gerard Butler being a hero, these really aren't uh, that far fetched. Some of these movies. <laughs> um, and then we get like sudden changes in wind patterns, increased evaporation uh, can lead to changes in wind patterns that can affect the strength and direction of storms, as well as the amount of fog and haze that forms. Uh, so, Eric texted me the other day. Um, saying it was he couldn't. He had to Google what was what he was looking at out his window, whether it was smoke from the Canadian wildfires or a fog rolling in. He just couldn't tell the difference. At yeah, <laughs> this it's,
2: point, it's I not that. It. Bad. It, it, and this time, for once, hands it actually was fog. It was really wonderful to actually just have that nice <laughs> bed of fog roll in. It's like, yeah. oh, it's just fog. Yay! It's not smoky
0: haze because. It yeah. has been bad the past week up oh, here. God. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I was um, I was
0: up there and it was it was pretty bad when I was up there. And
1: and but... not to get us too off the track, but can we can we just while we're talking about the smoke, the fact that nobody's talking about it anymore? Nope. Everyone has it's just kind accepted of died off. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're just like, yup, Yep. That's it.
2: Air quality's down. Don't don't be outside if you have asthma is pretty much what we get on the news now.
1: Yeah, yeah pretty much. Nothing else. It's, so, uh, uh, that's my that's my soapbox, real quick. Um, <laughs> now, to the jet stream, that you know, and to define the jet stream, it's a band of strong winds that flow high in the atmosphere. Marine heat waves can cause the jet stream to shift, which can lead to changes in weather mm-hmm. patterns over large areas. So, this is again back to what Eric was talking about. Uh, right now, and uh, it, over the last several months, if you were to look at The jet stream—it looks like a Van Gogh painting. Is things are moving in every single direction all the time, increasing uh, unpredictable weather.
2: Yeah, and the normal like straight streams that we see across the country and across the globe are all broken. Like the southern ones are are a little more normal, but the northern ones, like especially the one that goes across uh, North America, it pretty much normally goes across the country and then shifts up over new england mm-hmm. um, and then goes out over the atlantic but now it, it kind of sh- shifts very directly up about the great lakes and then just kind of dies mm.
1: well and, and and this also i mean it's it is uh, altering the distribution of sea ice mm-hmm. um and so uh that that disappearing it, it, is that possibly the warmth hitting the cold and it's dissipating the, the, the jet stream. Maybe I don't know enough, and we should have had Serena on, but...
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's meteor a lot, like how... Yeah, I would love to have Serena. That's a good question for Serena.
0: Yeah. Maybe we'll but follow it, up with her and... Because that's another
2: uh, number that we're seeing crazy, is that the the decrease in sea ice this year. Yes, yeah, uh, And all sorts of weird weather, but... Yeah. Um,
1: So, obviously, this is all still being studied, and we're we're all pretty new at this. Uh, Scientists, climatologists, meteorologists, this is all pretty new stuff. Um, Uh, They're saying this is
2: a 1 in 250,000 year event. Well, how much of this is
1: being exasperated by uh, El Nino, and maybe we're just pulling – I mean, just devil's advocate here. Are we putting more of a focus on – this because it's being inflated by el nino or do I you think so. this yes. is legitimately a real right. i think this yes. would be happening even if it wasn't ld i think it
2: wouldn't be as bad i think what's happening with el nino um it's actually gonna uh it's gonna cause the, the my my negative feedback loops to be much worse that even when el nino dies back down Uh, The patterns are going to be so broken and we're going to see some major meteorological events over the next two years that is going to change what we consider normal, even once El Nino dies down.
0: I would agree with that statement. I think that in the two to seven years in El Nino can last, I think because it's gonna be so heightened it, it's not gonna just revert back to a state of normal as as we, we're we gonna,
1: think. we're gonna form new patterns Correct. or more chaos. and um, have we discussed banning the word normal on this show? That's oh, why I put no. uh, normal in air
0: normal quotes. Normal in quotes, but no one, yeah, I no one yeah. see. air quotes. I think a lot of us <laughs> should just, like, this should be a normal is in air quotes always.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that'd be a great t-shirt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I've got uh, three different um, marine heat waves uh, in recent history uh, and just how they've sort of affected the weather and, uh, uh, the world. So in 2015, we had a marine heat wave in the Pacific ocean, uh, which caused uh, a a series of extreme weather, but primarily massive flooding in Australia and California. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I was in California in 2015 (laughs) and, uh, I remember those floods, uh, didn't affect the area I was in very much, but, uh, it was pretty significant in a lot of areas.
2: A lot of of mudslides during that time. Yeah. I believe that's when we saw the uh, the, the, the invasive jellyfish and the uh, lionfish invading. Right out of the,
1: yes, that extreme Pacific heat wave. Uh, 2018, there was a marine heat wave in the Arctic Ocean, uh, which caused massive sea ice to melt. Uh, And this led to ocean currents and the atmospheric circulation, which contributed to the extreme weather events in Europe that summer that Eric mentioned earlier. Um, and then 2021, a marine heat wave in the Indian Ocean caused widespread coral bleaching and fish kills. Uh, marine ecosystem and local fishing industry were devastated. Uh, and that's really kind of what's happening above the water when we talk about a marine heat wave. Um, but I feel like the key takeaway here is a feedback loop yep. where uh, this continues because it's happening.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and uh, I'm sure that's got a better name, but uh, yeah,
2: and I, I wish I'd actually now, now I'm thinking about it. I wish I'd looked it up, but this past year, um, in the the North Pacific, they canceled the entire crab hunt because they can't find the crabs. I saw a little
1: bit about that. Looks like Lily, li, 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 not Hillary, is already looking into it, <laughs> um, and uh. There's um, the salmon fishing has been shut down in California as well uh, because the animal patterns are shifting. Yeah, so the fisheries are
2: the the fisheries and big feet fi- big fish areas are are being shut. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah. the I read a lot about was that. Yeah, there's fi- fisheries in the Pacific coming out of the twenty eight eighteen warming. We are now seeing a lot of their the fisheries now just like they just never recovered and they're shutting everything down out there.
3: Yeah.
0: So so what's happening is well according to this article from National Fisherman um, so Alaska shut down crab season after dismal survey results. So what they're doing is they're surveying the the ocean and they're not able to find the numbers in order to sustain the ecosystem and do a fishing mm-hmm. um, season. So the 2022-2023 Crab season was canceled, and and we are seeing that with a lot of those fishing the salmon and and other fish uh, because what needs to happen is the ecosystem needs to increase and and do its little thing before we can right. take that resource again. Yeah, okay, and which has economic we, yeah. In, yeah in we talk, Correct.
2: We talk a lot about capitalism on here, but there are areas where capitalism. Is going. Hey, we only can take so much before, because otherwise we're going to collapse everything, and then we're going to completely lose this resource. Unfortunately, yeah. not all areas of capitalism follows this this uh, <laughs> mindset, but at least there are some that are like, no, 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 we need to stop, or else we're not going to be able to get anything.
0: To put a well, to it- put a number on on this, it, it's five hundred million revenue lost for just the Ophelia crab, the king crab, the red king crab, and the blue king crab season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Um, and I remember in the nineties, there was, uh, and this is when I was still in the restaurant industry, there was, uh, a, we, they were coming up against a shortage of swordfish mm-hmm. because uh, they the, the size and weight that was loud as a minimum mm-hmm. wasn't allowing the swordfish to mature to be able to reproduce and we were over harvesting and globally people had to be like well we really like swordfish uh and they changed these standards uh yeah. uh, uh to sort of save swordfish
2: <laughs> yeah i think we're, we're seeing that with tuna right now too mm-hmm.
1: Well, tuna's kind of always in danger. It has been for decades and for decades. For years, yeah. There's yep. all these different standards, and and they've been fine-tuning the, pra- the fishing practices on it, uh, but, you know, and it, that it's getting better. But I, I, I guess I'm just not familiar with what's going on now. Uh, I think that's a,
0: that's a great future Once. episode. I think we should definitely touch on the fishing industry.
2: Mm.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, we should be approaching. We should be talking more about how industries are being affected and how they can pivot uh, um, and things like that. I would love to lecture industries. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of what I have for for above the water, Lily.
0: That's amazing, and I think that we spun a future episode off of it. So that's always a, a great time and a great deal. <laughs> um, so let's kind of bring it back to Vermont uh an inland state um and talk about the homesteads oh
1: yeah well it's we're finally light. getting some sun yeah eric's pretty washed out aren't
2: you buddy i am my uh i've given up on my lawn like it's just every time i go out there there's an actual line in my lawn that like if i step over the line it just it's a, it's a squishy sponge sound when i walk and that's even after what we haven't got rain for 2 days right mm-hmm. now and I'm still yeah still like a sponge out there so well no our last rain
1: event our last rain event I mean I measured was an inch and a half yeah um so I mean it might yeah, take a while we got about the same yeah uh yeah that sucks um I'm having better luck up here a little more sun exposure a little more drainage I guess uh I do have some sandy soil around the edges so things do sort of yeah, uh, I'm, flow I'm away.
2: Afraid. All clay, all clay yeah. and ledge,
1: all holds it. Yeah. So I actually have. Uh, I was texting Eric yesterday. I have some golf ball sized tomatoes in my Rutgers tomatoes. Uh, green beans are coming in. Uh, lettuces are still doing really well. Uh, uh, shelling peas are doing really well. Uh, flowers are finally starting to come in. But as I look around and I look at pictures and stuff like that, it's it's all a month behind, you know. Yep. And I'm wow. I'm looking at two weeks until I'm at the farmer's markets and, you know, kind of biting my fingernails over it because, you know, this is, this is my income jump for the summer and uh, I'm a month behind on everything, you know? So fingers crossed, I guess, but, um, I've been, uh, you know, fertilizing, uh, uh, excessively. (laughs) So, um,
2: I'm worried with my garden that I, because I let it go last year to the mint is that I, the mint sapped way too much nutrients from my soil. Yeah. And then combine that with the lack of sun and just things just aren't growing well at all. I mean, I have like two of my marigolds took off, but the rest of them are only like this big. I, have, I, I had a couple tomatoes so far, like very tiny, like tiny dime sized cherry tomatoes and that's it. Uh one radish so far, but my radishes aren't growing at all. Like they're just like these they're not plumping up.
1: Yeah, and this is, you know, this is happening across the state, across New England, really. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we have yet to see the full impact of this. Um, you know, the the stuff that is producing well is, you know, and I always come back to this is being shipped out of state. Yeah. And You know, the home gardeners, the low income folks that rely on having their garden for fresh food and and canning and preserving are losing out as well. So I think we're going to see, you know, increased duress on on our, our, you know, food shelves and and, you know, things like that. It's uh, this is only just getting started to be bad. Eric's lucky to be in a position where he's not fully reliant on it and and, you know, to essentially lose your garden to the weather yeah is, it's you know yeah uh, it's, it's bad. a travesty <laughs> yeah it's it's emo- it emotionally hurts you've put yeah. so much work into it yeah i and- was
2: talking to our friend megan about um about it and she's just like yeah our garden is her, her garden is just gone like she's like there's no hope for it she's too where she lives is just too wet for anything to survive at this point
1: yeah she has several springs on her property
2: Yes, she does. Yes, she's on a slope. She's very muddy. Like she actually in the in the big weather event we had two weeks ago, she actually had to dig a dig a trench around her house to help the drainage because there was just so much water coming down.
1: Yeah, she told Ah. me that too. That was that's alarming. So, yes, happy fun time here on uh, uh, Broken Shuffle. (laughs) So, but I've got some stuff growing. We're going to be we're going to be okay. but it's certainly not going to be as much. Uh, One thing I like to advise people to do is to look at your local farmers markets uh, because you can buy. Uh, what they refer to as seconds of tomatoes at a discount, so you can get 20 pounds of tomatoes that just aren't pretty,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you know order these ahead, and you'll get a significant discount. Um, I think the price I was looking at for 20 pounds of tomatoes was forty five dollars uh, at my local uh, farmers market, and I may be doing that because I may my fresh stuff may end up at the farmers market, and I won't end up with anything to preserve. To, so it's it's just one of these. You know, you have to pivot, but if you, if you are going to pivot, try to, try to keep your focus on local, local yeah, I'm stuff. I'm
2: going to be like, I, I do still want to make my salsa this year and I'm still holding out hope that my that stuff's going to come back, but even my onions don't look great. So I'm probably going to be buying a lot of stuff to make my, to make my salsa and I'll be buying, yeah, that, that, those, those, the ugly tomatoes and whatnot to put into it.
1: Yeah. I, I there's nothing wrong with that the world, no there's nothing wrong with it, it wrong. No, yeah. they, go,
2: they are great for exactly what i use them for which is like like my my meat grinder salsa
0: yes I, <laughs> you know
1: what i will i will donate you some of my onions if i can get some of this meat grinder salsa uh so <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um let's talk about compost tea for a second like oh this?
1: yeah yeah i
0: started doing this
1: uh this week um So compost tea is essentially just tea uh, that you make out of plant matter uh, to um, uh, fertilize your plants with that water. So uh, nettles are really good for it. And uh, gosh, there's one other one that I can't remember right now. But I'm using burdock, which is uh, not wildly accepted as a good plant by a lot of people. The The burdock root does have some medicinal properties and things like that. But I happen to have like a big patch of it outside of the house right now that I've been letting go because it's just covered in pollinators. Well, the stuff will never stop if I let it go too far. So I started, I made some compost tea. Uh, I'm, I took a, and not everybody else can do it in the scale that I'm doing it. So you can do this in a, a bucket or like a, a dish tub um, for smaller batches of, of natural fertilizer. Uh, I have a 32 gallon garbage can that I cut down a bunch of my burdock plants down to the stem before it flowered. So you, you don't want the flowers on there because then you could possibly be spreading the burdock uh, through your garden, which is going to be a nightmare.
2: Um, uh, But if you hit it when it's when the flowers are green, you're good. As long yes. as you get them before they turn brown, because brown was when they actually are. We have
1: seeds, and we have yeah. seeds yeah.
2: exactly. Because I do, I have tons of massive burdocks on mine. But yeah, if you catch it, like right now is actually the perfect time. Yes, to cut down the burdocks and use it for this.
1: So anyway, so I, I cut down a whole bunch of it. I chopped it up with my loppers. Uh, I filled up about half of a thirty-two gallon garbage can. Uh, and then filled it over with water. Now I'm on a well, so I don't have to worry about chlorine. Um, but if you're using tap water, uh, you're going to want to pull your water a day or two ahead of time for this and let it sit, uh, to sort of dechlorinate. So you're not introducing the chlorine to your garden. Otherwise you can just use rainwater. Um, so, and, uh, now I'm letting it sit in the sun for a couple of days and we're gonna filter it and start using it on our plants and vegetables that need additional nutrients. It is so easy to do. You could do this with, uh, you know, just leaves that fall on the ground. There's there's so many nutrients in everything. Just you know, soak it in water and you have a natural fertilizer uh, without having to introduce chemicals. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah so i wanted to share that with everybody uh make compost tea
0: perfect now do we have any listener interactions to oh
1: week? gosh i have a great screenshot um yeah so we, i've been getting some feedback uh from reddit and i shared some of these with the two of you um but uh you so We've got Reddit user Ivy Rock uh, who said, I've never really gotten the appeal of podcasts and I just listened to the first one and I'm starting on the second. I am really enjoying it and plan to keep listening. Thanks for sharing. Um, And then uh, I've got user Andrew 365 who says, "Uh, I've listened to all of your episodes to date and really loving them. Uh, And then I've gotten into some other conversations with folks just about how uh, what we're doing they want to do it too. And they also want to try to, you know, change the world in tiny little ways. And it's uh, really great to hear positive feedback. I, and I love sharing it with both of you. And I thought I'd share it with our listeners too. Um, we appreciate so all of you. you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I get messages on TikTok and stuff. I just don't have them ready. Uh, but it's usually, you know, just telling me how awesome my hat is. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, But yeah, so getting some positive feedback out there and uh, just really want to thank all of our listeners, everybody who's been with us from the beginning, everybody who's been joining along the ways. So this is a, you're making this a lot of fun.
0: Agreed. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Um, So I think you should all stick around to listen to Eric's conversation with CEO and founder uh, Clifton. it's a great little conversation. So yep. stick around. Yep. Well, I,
2: enjoy, I enjoyed my interview with Clifton. I think everyone else will enjoy it. It's very short. It's sweet, and yeah, we just kind of cover the cover what what he does. And you're Perfect.
1: buying his product now. You said yes. There, I, am. Right? I haven't
2: got. I haven't purchased it yet because um, I'm I'm trying to save a little money right now. Uh, but I am planning on buying it and I'm going to be using it to grow some. Uh, I'm going to grow some herbs and some other stuff in there (laughs) all right
1: well eh, thanks for listening everybody and uh enjoy eric's conversation with clifton from
2: planter with a three for the e bye later welcome to broken shovel homesteading for a sustainable future podcast eric here with clifton founder and ceo of planter with a three hi clifton how you doing today
3: I'm doing great thanks eric good
2: so uh as we are a homesteading sustainability podcast uh, i want to start off by asking uh what brought you to uh homesteading
3: sure so i can trace the roots of my interest actually back to the great financial crisis and more importantly peak oil the concept of peak oil that was pretty much in vogue back then prior to the fracking revolution uh now it's fallen out of vogue but my interest in this kind of activity has never waned all right
2: and then uh so where in the country are you located because uh me and lucas we're up in uh we're up in vermont so we've been dealing with some uh some fun weather lately
3: oh yeah sure uh so i'm in the mid-atlantic region just outside of washington dc
2: okay All right. And then, uh, so, uh, what kind of a growing gardening outdoor and do you
3: do? Yeah. So I do a mixture of container in ground, uh, hydroponics and then indoor growing with, uh, with led grow lights.
2: Okay, cool. So now led grow lights brings us into a, uh, a good, uh, section about your, your product that you make, uh, planter, uh, your videos, guides, your whole brand that you have built around this, your what you're doing.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll give you the basics of it. So <clears throat> when I started growing, I was growing in heavy urban areas, no outdoor space typically. Maybe you'd have a balcony, but I was always interested in figuring out how can I get as much production in as small of a space, in an urban space as I can. And uh, so that journey started about 11 years ago. And over the course of that time, technology has changed a great deal. Uh, and also, there's a lot of cultivars and best practices that have changed. So my my actual goal with Planter has been to take all of that information, put it into an easy form for people and empower them to grow as much fruit as they need or they want to starting indoors year round. Very cool.
2: And then, yeah, so I was looking at your 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 the product you sell on the website. your the vertical hydroponic setup. I think it's super cool. Um, I tried my hand at actually trying to make my own hydroponic set, setup as my uh, my senior project for school because uh, I I always use the arrow Gardens, which I do sure. like. Those they're great, but uh, for certain things. For long-term growing like the ph gets really hard to monitor though so i wanted to make something that uh monitored ph along with doing the water and the light cycles and everything and it was a success but i never got it out of the kind of prototyping phase
0: Mm.
3: yeah you've you've highlighted exactly what most people struggle with when they're starting with hydroponics monitoring the ph and getting up to a scale where it really makes sense is difficult Oftentimes they'll start with something like a bucket system, uh, maybe a raft or um, something made out of PVC piping. And the great downside to that is you, you have to monitor that system on a daily basis, sometimes on a two or three times daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not something interesting to me. When I started growing, it was soil only, I didn't see any good options. Uh, but when I found this, uh, what we call the planter mini, um, that changed everything. Yeah. It's a very light system. It's portable. Uh, You can hang it indoors or outdoors. It only weighs about a pound and a half when it's shipped. So it's very easy to send it anywhere you want. And uh, what we encourage people to do is to actually grow outdoors with it in, of course, spring, summer, and fall. And then you can bring it inside and grow year round using third party grow lights and a third party stand. It's the, the actually darn cheapest way of getting into uh hydroponics of any system that i've ever seen with the added benefit that there's no app and the only maintenance required is to pour the nutrients out one time per month and pour in a fresh group of them
2: nice that's really cool that's actually it's really simple cuz that's the thing yeah the arrow garden it just it would get it just be what when the plants got big like we'd like to grow a lot of herbs and stuff and i like to, i let them go for a while and yeah, they just like they the roots would get gnarly, and then they just the water would get hard to manage. But I think your vertical system that's really cool. And so, what brought, drew you to uh, making a vertical style setup over like the arrow Garden, which is like a, a bed?
0: Hmm.
3: Well, it solves. It solves a number of issues with those other systems. Uh, the one thing that's really unique about it is it's made out of HDE plastic. Okay. And it's a sleeve. So uh, this is the only system of its kind that's made in the U.S. The only uh-huh. part that's not is actually a part, of course, you can probably guess what it is. It's the pump. It comes yes. from China. Yep. Because you, you just simply can't find anything made in the U.S. of that nature, unfortunately. No. But- yep. Yep. The other pieces are made, they're recyclable plastic. So they're made to use. So I've got systems that I've used indoors for two years. Mm -hmm. Although you practically speaking out outdoors, these sleeves will fall apart after only eight to 10 months because the sun is brutal on anything outdoors.
2: All right. And then, so, uh, what made you decide to, uh, shift from meeting just your family's needs to wanting to help other people meet their family's needs and grow their own foods and
3: whatnot. Yeah. I I think the, the catalyst for me was I kept meeting people who knew something about gardening, but they knew nothing about growing indoors or hydroponics or, or any of the things that I was doing. And um, so that was on one side of the coin. The other side of the coin was I met a lot of people who wanted to get started, but have no simple way or process or method of doing it. So I thought, okay, I, I should be able to simplify this process dramatically, get a lot of people growing indoors, and then whomever wants to, they could scale it up and grow outdoors afterwards. Cool. All right.
2: Um, and one of the terms I saw used a lot on your website
3: was the vermicomposting what is that? Sure. Uh, It's among among my uh, favorite subjects. Uh, As you know, composting is a way we can take nutrients and transform Mm -hmm. them into something plants can access with water. So there's actually two forms of that. One is anaerobic, the other is aerobic. Mm -hmm. Vermicompost is worms. And so worms in concert with anaerobic bacteria actually will break down simple things like shredded newspaper, uh, t- coffee grounds and tea leaves and form a perfectly balanced compost that you can grow straight into. It goes straight into your garden and grows many, I mean, pretty much any kind of uh, wonderful plants you want to grow. Very cool. So
2: uh, we've talked about your product. Now, tell me a little bit about the uh, your videos and the guides that you do.
3: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So getting back to that, that theme of being the dead simplest way to get going, I actually host live classes a few times a week on meetup.com and as well on uh, Eventbrite. So you can check, check out those classes there. We, and in addition to that, we have a pre-recorded class, which will get you most of the information right on our website. So you can put in your first name, email, and then you can watch that pre-recorded class and get all, of, all of the great tips and tricks there. Uh, if you subscribe, what you'll get is monthly uh, guides to indoor growing, as well as like plants of the month. So our our plant of the month for July is actually the coastal star lettuce. Ooh. And we've got We have a guide indoor growing with our hydroponic system, um, also a classroom version of that too. So if there are any teachers that would like to actually uh, use this system uh, or just grow in soil and and get kids to understand better how to grow more food for themselves, we have a nice little guide for that. And it follows the next generation science standards too, which is pretty, pretty fun.
2: Nice. That's awesome. So I mean. that kind of did, it get, wraps up a lot of my questions that I had. Um, so I mean, I mean, to wrap it up, like, what's one of your favorite things to uh, to grow?
3: I'd have to say that the variety of greens that are out there is it's astonishing. Yeah. Uh, since I've I've been doing this, and now because I practice uh, fifth season growing or year round, mm-hmm. uh, I can actually grow five seasons worth of greens indoors using hydroponic systems nice. so i have been able to consistently try uh, many more plants than most people would ever try in their lifetime and so greens i think are really exciting for that reason uh the other so that would be one the other thing would be um dwarf tomatoes oh okay these are, these are three gallon size tomatoes they fit in a very small container and there are hundreds of varieties of them out there heirloom varieties even They're very new cultivars. They're just starting to become available, uh, but they're delicious and very interesting because they're so small, you can put them up inside almost any indoor space. So there's a lot to learn. Nice. Nice. Well, uh,
2: thanks for coming on today. Thank you for telling me about your product and what you do. Uh, And it was a pleasure having you.
3: I appreciate it, Eric. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Yep.